Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Outspoken with White and Jordan. 100% engagement. It's a total disrespect. Download, stand well back, listen. Jim White and Simon Jordan. I don't see that view. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Hi, this is Jim White, and thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan podcast. Every day we bring you the best of the show. On today's episode, myself and Simon discuss the possibility of an expanded football World Cup. We hear from Alexander Yusik's manager, Igis Klimas, about the heavyweight fight between Tyson Fury and Yusik, which could take place early in 2023. Simon explains why he's confident that England will beat the French on Saturday, and former British tennis player Barry Cowan talks about British tennis being threatened with expulsion by the ATP Tour. Simon, interesting though, FIFA pushing for bigger World Cups and UEFA expanding the Champions League. I wonder if we're getting to a stage now that there's just too much football. We love the football. We love this World Cup. The football has been great. It seems to get better with every day that passes. But now we know the 2026 World Cup is set to last at least five weeks instead of four. Yeah to accommodate an expanded tournament. The tournament is in the United States, Canada and Mexico. 48 countries instead of uh, 32. That would mean 104 matches compared to 64 at the World Cup in Qatar. Yep. Are we beyond saturation point, do you think? Um, depends who, who who's getting saturated because this isn't about really about people watching it. This is about advertisers being able to support the financial model that FIFA and UEFA have in mind for increasing the revenues around those respective tournaments. So opening the Champions League up to more teams is about revenue. Um, I don't think it's predominantly driven by how many people go to watch a game or how many people turn the television on, albeit advertisers will take that into consideration. It's about the revenue they can generate in different territories and how much more money they can wring out of the endorsers mm. and the same thing applies in the World Cup now of course the teams going to the World Cup have no disadvantage because they're not going to play any more games to win a World Cup there's just going to be more teams in that in tournament yeah. so with that in mind you're still going to have the same situations aren't you? you're still going to have a group stages that throw out 32 teams and you know and off you go from there mm. so with that in mind you know I, I don't think we're at saturation point I think one of the things that Covid showed us 
was the thing that got people through COVID to some extent, you know, besides their own resolve and fortitude, was the ability to watch certain things. And what we saw televisually was the amount of games that were being broadcast because we saw this inordinate amount of games being shown and we saw that the appetite was significant. So I actually think that there was a space... I've been suggesting for some time with this perception of the Netflix of football that we could broadcast our own platforms and not need third-party broadcasters like Sky or BT. But I also think that the, um, that the appetite for being, being able to broadcast all games is there. And, of course, you'll dilute audiences. You know, when you see television figures, you know, you look at audiences now which watch television, you know, you watch Piers Morgan show will get 7,000 on one day and, and another network will get 100,000. You think these are really poor figures. But advertisers still seem to think that they're okay to spend money with these broadcasters yeah. and generate revenue. Yeah. This is all about... It's not about... If we're talking about, is this about in the competitive good of football? I doubt it, because that's not what it's about. This is about money. Now, if that money is going to be utilised to enhance the sport and, and flow down into the pyramids of grassroots football and develop opportunities that benefit everybody, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. My concerns are that these conclaves of FIFA and UEFA, based in Switzerland behind faceless bureaucrats uh, that are making decisions about how football should be restructured. It concerns me because you've gone from 13 people in a World Cup in 1930 when it first started to 30 to 24 teams in 98 and our next tournament after 98 went up to 32. Right. Those are all sort of reasonable exponential growth. You're now saying we're going to go from 32 to 48 and from where and on what basis? Because, you know, what we don't want to see, and this is the argument that you and I will debate, is... Not so much the overindulgence of football, but the composition of how good the football is that we're watching. Well, exactly, exactly. If, if you're getting in there, secondary nations that aren't able to compete and they're getting beat 9-0 yeah. and in World Cup competitions, you're all of a sudden starting to diminish the product a little bit. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Tyson Fury was in this very studio a short time ago. It would seem there are a whole whole series of big big fights being lined up in 2023 one of those early in the year maybe late february beginning march will be tyson fury against alexander Usyk. fury was in there with the breakfast gang this morning and he talked about the prospect of fighting Usyk. Usyk was offered the fight instead of Derek chisora for december and they said no so they said oh we're going to wait till next year so we'll see. We'll see how good the man's word is. Yeah. Yep. Mm. He's been undisputed cruiserweight champion. He's fought Joshua twice. I think he's had what four fights heavyweight now. So yeah, we'll see. I think I think he's willing. He looks willing. I would like to think that there's not a man born yet that can beat me in my own era for sure. But you know, you can never underestimate anybody. I trained so hard for Derek, even though I've beaten him twice before. Mm. I put a nine-week camp in. I was um, I was celibate for, for seven weeks for Derek Chisora. That's how much I respected him as an opponent. And I trained really hard for him. And it was like, everyone was saying, well, you've already beat the guy. Why are you doing all this sacrifice? I'm like, I'm making sure that he don't beat me in the third one. So even though that I'm a lot taller than this guy and I outweigh him by two or three stone, I would give him the utmost respect as, as a, a proper opponent for me. Okay. Well, Simon, I'm delighted to say we can bring a bit more detail <clears throat> to this this morning. Because uh, earlier on, we spoke to Usyk's manager, Igis Klimas. Um, he's over in Los Angeles. We got to him and I said to him straight, can we take it, Igis, that this fight is now very much on? Yes, Jim, definitely. We've been in negotiations even before the fight. That's why we showed up to the fight. We were invited. We were treated very nice by the Queensboro 
amazing, amazing fans in the UK. We love UK fans. I couldn't believe that somebody told me what the fight is going to be in a stadium December 3 in London. I was flipped out. And I said, they, they're not going to get, get the people. And 60,000 people was sold. Atmosphere in our stadium, it was amazing. And I mean, we've been talking to Queensboro Promotions about the, that fight before. I am talking to the top rank. As we speak, this morning we had a conference call. All of us uh, got together, and uh, we are almost done, I wanted to say. It's not much to talk. Two heavyweights, best in the sports today, undisputed heavyweight championship bout. That's what people need. That's what the fans need. So where and when? Uh, most likely, it's going to be no later than March 4th. And uh, it most likely, it will end up in the Middle East, I want to say. But during today's conversation, I heard the other options are coming, like uh, maybe again, London Stadium, Qatar most likely, we're aiming for Saudi because I know Saudi is very interested in that fight. Saudi loves Usyk. I mean, Usyk is a huge, big fan in the UK as well. I mean, Igus, you said you were so impressed by what you saw on Saturday night here in December in London. Surely Usyk and Fury owe it to the UK fight fans to have it in the UK, to have it in London. Yes, of course. That would be, that would be ideal, but from a management point and a financial point, I think today Mideast is, you know, much, much bigger. It's not a long travel. It's like a four hours. It's also very nice when you have an opportunity to go aboard of your country to support being a fan of your athlete, and then you're visiting other country. Maybe some of the people, let's say some of the fans, they never gonna have a chance to go to Saudi Arabia to see what's going on around, around the world. But here you go. Igus, from cruiserweight to the heavyweight division, how would you describe the trajectory, the journey of Usyk in recent years? Well, for me, it would be very hard to describe it because I know Usyk. I knew what the goal is from the first day. He stepped in a professional ring. I knew he wanted to become the fastest cruiserweight champion. I knew he's going to go to the heavyweight division. Maybe somebody, but not too many people, believed it can be done. They always were talking about he's too small. But Fury other day said in the heart, somebody told him about being a big heavyweight. And he said, no matter how big you are, it's the most important how big is your heart is. I even retweeted that and I said, so stop complaining, Usyk is too small. Unbeaten in 34 fights. How, how does Yusik go about beating Tyson Fury in March then? Wherever the fight is, Igus. My saying is, and a lot of people do not understand, my saying is, Usyk cannot beat Tyson like he beat Bellew, but he will win Tyson. How much does the current situation in Ukraine drive Yusik on, Igus? It's very hard to say. This is a, I, I believe this is kind of like a very personal feelings. You know, they don't like to talk. They're doing a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. You have to be so brave to do those things like Usyk right now. He can live anywhere he wants. 
He can live in the United States. He can live in the UK. He can live in Spain. He can live in Dubai. Guess where he is today? He is in Kiev. He's in Ukraine. He's with his country people. And as soon as the fight is going to be announced, as soon as we're going to have a date, we're going to have a plan, and then he's going to be moving on to the training camp. That was Igor Klimas. It's as good as done, Simon. <coughs> yeah. uh, he was, so thank goodness, be. for someone who's very straightforward telling us as so, it is. So, so it should be. Um, I think the sensible money might be February 25, which mm. is a Saturday. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, you can hear from, from his tone, financially, it's going to be the Middle East. <laughs> Oh, oh, undoubtedly. If you're talking about a fight... And Qatar get mentioned. Well, yeah, because what a, what, a, what a perfect stalking horse to get the price up in Saudi. If you want someone to write huge checks, uh, then, then give them some competitive competition to be able to increase the size of those checks. So if you've now got another fox in the hen house, which is Qatar, then that will be the stalking horse that, uses the, uh, that, that the managers and promoters use to raise the stakes and the cost implication. If you want this fight for the fans, you fight it in, in London. If you want the fight for the money, you fight it in the Middle East. And the fans will get to watch it on television because that's what will happen. The argument that Tyson advances about Usyk, there's no way Usyk should have had to fight Tyson Fury in December. He fought Anthony Joshua in September. And and ultimately that was a, 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 a more difficult fight than the uh, sparring session that we just saw on the weekend that Tyson Fury had. Yeah. So it's entirely appropriate that Usyk has a passage of time to recalibrate himself for the biggest challenge. There isn't, in my mind, a parallel universe where anybody at this moment in time beats Tyson Fury. Not even you see. No, no. Too big, too strong, too brave. Tyson Fury has all of those components. He has the skill, he has the, the, the size, he has the weights, he has the technique, he has the ability, he has the heart, he has the lot, right? And and some of those components were missing and, and he won't and he won't fail to use the size and weight advantage that he has as a heavyweight, whereas Anthony Joshua did. So all of those things make it to me just a forlorn cause for, for Alexander Usyk. What he's going to get is a monumental paycheck. Yeah. And that's fine because that's what the best in the business get. They get monumental paychecks. We've but it's refreshing that. though, Simon. 2022 is a year that many fights, including AJ Fury, did not happen. Here we are getting into this new year and already we're talking about one see, that we really see, want to see, see again, and it is happening. See, again, I think those are unfortunate narratives because, again, I don't, I don't think... If I'm Anthony Joshua, as much as we wanted that fight... How can you come off the back of two wins and just fight a fight when it suits Tyson Fury? Tyson Fury would have Anthony Joshua. Tyson Fury is the reasons why fights got delayed because Tyson Fury spent five months playing hide-and-seek with himself about being retired. So with that in mind, the Joshua Fury narrative, if I'm Anthony Joshua, I'd take that fight because I'm a fighter. If I'm Anthony Joshua's manager, I'd go, do the British fight fans want to see the best version of Anthony Joshua? So we actually get the fight, the real fight between Joshua and Fury, their best versions. Surely they need to see Anthony Joshua in better nick than coming off the back of two defeats. The quicker they get Joshua back in the ring, the quicker they get him back going with forward momentum, the quicker they can make the Joshua versus Fury fight. So I look at it and say, we've had a lot of good fights this year. We've had two fallouts. We've had the ridiculous diabolical situation with Chris Eubank and, and, and Conor Ben that no one could legislate for and quite frankly that wasn't a proper fight anyway it just was a, was a media fight with two people's fathers making the legacy of that fight and then you had the Fury-Joshua fight and everyone goes oh you know look at what he did for Joshua he gave him 60-40 because everybody knows that Joshua brings 50% more money to the fight so actually it's the same as giving somebody 80-20 on a normal fight because Joshua brings this huge set of wagons of cash behind it so with that in mind I think we're actually not in a bad place we've got Anthony Yard coming up fighting Baturbiev in January we've got Josh Warrington fighting this, 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 this weekend we've got Terry Terence Crawford fighting David yeah. Avenesian. The only, the only thing that sticks out like a sore thumb 
is that load of old crap that we watched last weekend? And who was involved in that? Tyson Fury. The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. England against France. It's a seven o'clock uh, kickoff here in the UK. Uh, tomorrow night and it's live on Saturday night and it's live on Talk Sport. It's uh, coming from the Albite Stadium, which is impressive to say the least of it. Simon, we're going to hear from Kyle Walker in just a second. Yeah. He was equally impressive uh, when he, he was spoke, indeed uh, in front of the media yesterday. Very good interview. But it's a, it's a, a pivotal few days regards the future of Gareth Southgate, whatever way you look at it. Has he earned the right, do you think, Simon, to dictate his future, whatever happens against the French? Say you lose against the French and England come home. Can Gareth dictate what he does or doesn't do next? Dictate is probably not the right terminology because he's under contract. What he can do is decide for himself whether he wants to continue with the contract that he's currently being given or not. So whilst I hope that the decision is made because England have done something very commendable in this tournament, I certainly don't think it should be taken on bended knee to Gareth Southgate to uh, please stay, Gareth, please. Because I think he's, I think, you know, whilst he's done okay, I, I don't think he's a world beater. I think he's done okay with a very good group of players. What he's been very good at is creating a better culture inside the England team and utilising the talent that we've had in previous generations in a more constructive way and a productive way and has also had an inordinate amount of luck in the draws that he's got. Now, if he beats France on Saturday, it'll be the first time that he's beaten somebody on paper that people think we can't beat. The rest of the time, he's beaten people that we think we can beat. So with that in mind, in any other walk of life, you don't necessarily get rewarded for mediocrity and begged and pleaded to stay and dictate your terms of staying. But football <laughs> is different, isn't it? So with that in mind, I think that we've got him under contract for another two years. I've always felt that was previous. I've always felt that when you're going into a World Cup tournament, surely... You're, you're 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 judged on your next contract based upon what you've been employed for in the first place, which is to be a successful tournament manager. So with all that in mind, the terminology dictate sits badly with me because I don't think he should be in a position to dictate. He's already under contract. The only thing you'll have is, would he want to continue with a backdrop of sections of the media, people like me, that have a critical eye over the reality of what he's done? Do you think you're overcritical about him? No, I think, I think I'm fair. I think, he's, I think he's done lots of very good things. I think he's been commendable in his ability to be able to communicate messages and impart wisdom to the media to bring them on side. Has he not shown he's a good tournament manager, though, Simon? Well, Go, until, going deep in the last until, World Cup and, and deep in the Euros. Until we beat somebody that we are not that on paper we, we're not supposed to, what am I supposed to say? I can say, well, actually, everyone else set a low standard and managed to achieve it, so well done him for doing the same. Or I can say, well done when you've beaten somebody that no one expects us to beat. We beat everybody in the World Cup that was expected for, of us to beat, and we lost to teams that potentially that we would have, there was a 50-50 on, Croatia and Belgium. But it's football though, isn't it? I mean, Spain lost to Morocco. Are they now a terrible team and should Luis Enrique no, get sacked? No, and, no. Neither, and neither are England a terrible team, and neither should, neither should it be feast or famine. Neither should he be eulogised as the saving of English football, and neither should he be the devil incarnate and worst of a manager that darkened our doors. They're somewhere in the middle. And that's the tragedy that we have in the world that we live in. It's either one or the other. I think he's a sensible, pragmatic, vanilla-type manager that will keep it. They'll never, you'll never have any um, disruption. You'll never have any uproar. You'll never have many controversies. And the controversies he's had, he's managed to steer his way through. Behaviour of players during COVID, when you had Foden and, and Mason Greenwood causing all kinds of mayhem out in, in, in Reykjavik and not observing the, fu you know, the functions and obligations they had. He's been a sensible, he's been an adult in a room.
in a sometimes a childlike industry. He's been sensible, he's been pragmatic. I think he's overreached in areas. I think he's stepped into places that he didn't need to do when it talked about other things like, you know, the virtue signaling side of what okay. he thought we needed to speak to. But, but I therefore, think, after his spell as England manager, yeah. whenever that day comes... No, absolutely not. Not to, I don't believe there'll be a top six club in this country. I was country. just going to say to you, yeah. does he re-enter the Earth's atmosphere and become a Premier League manager? Well, there's always, a, like I've said in previous discussions, there's a seat for every backside. Do I think that seat would be at the top six or top ten team in the Premier League? Highly debatable. I think the functions... Not a top ten. No, no I don't. I don't know where and who would want Gareth Southgate. And, and what do you base level. that on? Because I think there's a vast difference between managing players over getting the best in the country and uh, assimilating them to play against inferior opposition, beating that inferior opposition and falling short against superior opposition. I don't think that's the blueprint for how domestic management says, aha, that's the excellence I want. I think it's sensible, decent management. I don't think he should be in any way criticised for being a very pragmatic, sensible manager in all aspects of his... So you, you couldn't see him at any stage further down the line in charge of Wolves, Brighton, Leicester... Possibly, but I'm talking about... They were top ten. My, my, my main conversation would be the top six, because when you're talking about elite football management, you don't necessarily assume that an international manager that's managed a country of the repute of England is going to find himself managing a bottom half of the Premier League table. If you want to make an argument and expand it out beyond the top ten, yeah, maybe. Not for me, not for me, because I, I, I think he is, you know, someone that will give you an outcome that will never get you to where you want to get. And I hope I'm wrong. I actually think I'm going to contradict myself in this sentence. I actually think we'll beat France on Saturday because I listened to Carl Walker. I was so, I've not been an advocate for Carl Walker. I think that some of the things that he's done in the past have been bloody stupid. I've always admired him as a player, but I listened to that interview and my takeaway from that interview was, boy, these players are, are in the mode. They're in the mood for this. Yeah. And the confidence and the attitude is not like similar England camps. It's not apologetic. It's not contrite. It's also not arrogant and over-assertive. It's just belief. And what's that down to? Gareth Southgate. I, I think that's down to winning. Uh, I think it's down the to... Mentality the mentality that he's instilled. But I also think if you play for teams like Man City and you win, you come into environments and you bring that with you. And that's nothing to do with England managers. That's to do with the coaches that they play for on a daily basis. And if you, yeah. can, trans if you can harness that, the England manager's job is made difficult by people that aren't very good at understanding the climate. Why would Fabio Capello come over here, look at the England team and say, I tell you what, I'm going to assert myself in an Italian way over the English players. You've got to understand the culture. You've got to talk to the language. Not, I don't mean literally the language, but the culture of the environment that you're in. Find the keys to the door, unlock that door and let everyone walk through it. Not not close the door and say, this is the room that we're in now and everyone does as I say, because yeah. you're going to find yourself in a resistance era. There have been other managers that have done it. Venables... You know, despite the fact that I have reservations about Venables off the pitch stuff, there's no doubt in '96 he was an excellent coach. Mm. I know his reputation was probably bigger than his deeds, but notwithstanding that, his achievement as a coach was not insignificant. There were other managers. Glenn Hoddle was going in the right direction before he came up with some ridiculous, wacky idea that Eileen Drury was someone that we should listen to. And those sort of things all come to the front. Okay. But I think Southgate has done a very respectable job. Why shouldn't he do a respectable job? He's been given the opportunity to manage one of arguably the best nations in football that we brag about having the best domestic league with a group of players that are, are, are an embarrassment of riches. Why shouldn't he do a bloody decent job? It's far we from straightforward though, isn't it? Well, it's, it's far from a straightforward job. It's not nothing straightforward for good people. Pe good people make things look more straightforward than they actually are. I mean, are. he's trying to do what many before him couldn't do and win a major trophy. Absolutely. And he's yet to do it. 
and he's had better opportunities. He's come closest. He's come close, and again, I want to qualify it, not because I'm being mean-spirited. If you draw <laughs> Panama and Colombia with their best player out, yeah. and Ukraine in tournaments, and Sweden, and average sides that are in, in decline, and Germans that stink the place out, you will give yourself an opportunity. And here we come, knock, knock, knocking on the door, Italians, lose. Play against the Croatians, it's in our hands, lose. And these are the ones, that, if he overcomes it against France then he writes a different script. And you're thinking he will, because I, on this occasion you're thinking, France, win. I think the players will carry him across the line. It's always the players. In the end, it's always the players. This group of players are cut from a slightly different cloth. I'm not interested in the Jack Grealishes of the world and people of that nature. I'm more interested in the starting eleven that will get you where you need to go. The Bellingham's in the world that aren't playing in English football, that are playing for different managers. Those sort of people are coming to this camp with an outlook and disposition that I've not seen in an England camp before. Yeah. That's why I think there's a chance they'll beat the French. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard to beat. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Now we know Wimbledon is poised to lift its ban on Russian players next year after British tennis was threatened with expulsion from the ATP Tour. So what's all this about? The ATP, the global governing body for men's tennis, has fined the Lawn Tennis Association about £820,000, about a million US dollars, for banning Russian and Belarusian players from five tournaments during this summer because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It's also threatened to remove the LTA's membership for any repeat ban. Simon, you're taking that in a second, but former British tennis player, and a great player at that, Barry Cowan joins us live. Uh, Barry, good morning to you. Is it time for Russians and Belarusians to be allowed to play once more at Wimbledon? Uh, very good morning, guys. Well, I think we just need to sort of go back to when it first happened and, and how it played out. And basically, uh, Wimbledon were approached by the government and the government forced Wimbledon's hand. Now, the LTA come under Wimbledon, of course, because Wimbledon give the LTA, um, what, 40 plus million every year with a surplus from the championships. 
So the, the LTA ultimately are, are looking to see what Wimbledon, the decision Wimbledon make. And they were put in a very uncomfortable position where the All England Club by the government, but the government weren't, weren't making the decision. So Wimbledon then made the decision, which, which I know was a very difficult one. The government, for me, should have made the decision because that politics and sports shouldn't, miss, shouldn't mix. But the scenario that could happen, that actually did happen, was that the players weren't allowed to play, but there were no sanctions about coaches. So you could ever have the situation where, let's say, um, Simon Jordan's in the final of Wimbledon, he has a Russian coach, the Russian coach could be sitting in the players' box. Well, that's not a particularly good message, is it? <laughs> right. It, it's, right. It's mixed messages. Right. I mean, it, it's an awkward situation, to say the least of it, Simon, isn't it? Yeah. As Barry has just outlined. Yeah. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i aligned with Barry uh, on the idea, and I've always been in that situation, that sport and politics are not ideal bedfellows, and I don't really want them together because I don't want sport being levered to serve out the agendas of politicians. It's a very blunt instrument, Um um, I, I, when we were in Qatar, I spent some time with Victoria Azarenka, who was one of those players that got directly affected, and she was very strong and unhappiness. And we may get her on to talk about it because she's in Miami at the moment. Time we might get her on to talk about her views on things. But I always felt it was a difficult one, a difficult circle to square, because you've got um, the situation where sporting teams that represent their countries is one thing, and athletes that represent themselves are another. And the blunt instrument that was deployed that anyone that was Belarusian or Russian, irrespective of uh, whether they had any particular allegiance to their country, lived in that country anymore, unless they did things that uh, were going to be very difficult for people to do, which was speak out about Putin, uh, be very diminishing of the, of the Russian invasion of Ukraine and put themselves and their family probably in jeopardy, then they caught themselves in a trap of not even being able to play under a neutral flag. Now, I understood the, the temperature and the temperature of the room, but I also think that there was an inherent fa- unfairness on the athletes themselves, and that was the casualty of the country that they were born in and the actions of their leader. And so I have very mixed emotions about it because I do think it's inherently unfair on athletes that have no support of Putin's invasion of Ukraine, don't even live in that country, that are caught by something that is not of their making. And so I was challenged by it. And of course, I understood that Wimbledon's attitude was we can't have somebody winning something and then standing up in front of the world's media and doing something that demonstrates some support for a war no. in terms of how the Russian gymnasts did in a which, previous tournament. Which, I mean, which, which Simon, sorry to interrupt Simon, on, and, and, you, and you, you've talked very well there. And as a commentator, one of the things that we were told at the beginning of the year was we do not mention where they are from. So we don't mention Andre Rublev, Daniel Medvedev, who was the world number one at the time, or Karan Hachanov or Victoria Azarenka. We don't mention where they're from. And when and when we're talking about the, the tour and we, we look at the rankings, it would have Novak Djokovic Serbian flag, it would have Rafael Nadal Spanish flag, and it would have Daniel Medvedev no flag. So they were just a player. They were they weren't a player from anywhere. And I absolutely supported um, the ITF decision to to pull uh, Russia out of the Davis Cup and the women's equivalent, which is now, of course, the, called the Billie Jean King Cup. I absolutely supported that, but I did feel it was unfair for those for those for the players. And 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 I've had the pleasure of interviewing Rublev. I've had the pleasure of interviewing Medvedev and also Hatchanov. And these are absolutely lovely guys, really nice guys. And as Simon says, they. Most of them don't live in Russia. I mean, Medvedev trains in south of France. Kachanov 
has has been based out of Spain, as has Rublev been based out of Spain for for, for many years. Yes. Um, and and then the situation is well, they weren't able to play in 2022. So what is going to change in 2023? 100% engagement. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. We'll be back each weekday to bring you the best of the show. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.